1: Good evening. You're listening to KUCI at 88.9 FM in Irvine and online at KUCI.org. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd, I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity and From Victim to Victor, a step-by-step guide for ending the nightmare of identity theft. She sits as an advisor to the State of California Office of Privacy Protection and she's a sheriff reserve here in Orange County. She's testified many times in Congress and the California legislature on privacy and identity theft issues, and you may have seen her on TV on Dateline, 48 Hours, NBC, ABC, CNN, O'Reilly, Geraldo, Montel, a lot of other shows. And uh, she did her own 90-minute PBS special last year called Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this Radio show and our great guest, please visit KUCI.org slash privacypiracy. Good evening, Murray.
0: Good evening. Tonight, we have someone who I met several years ago who I've been wanting to get on the show, but she is so busy. She finally found the time and she is one of my other heroes a real privacy hero, a wonderful woman, very bright, a great mentor for all of us in the privacy profession. Let me tell you about Barbara Lawler. Barb is the first Chief Privacy Officer at Intuit. Intuit makes TurboTax, Quicken, QuickBooks, and other specialized software and services for businesses. They also make it for accounting professionals, taxpayers, and consumers. The California-based firm has over 7,500 employees all over the world. Barbara leads the Intuit Privacy Team and is responsible for creating and driving privacy and personal information use, strategy, policy, and implementation. Intuit was recognized as the most trusted company for privacy in 2008 and a lot of that was due to Barbara's privacy leadership. Prior to Intuit, Barbara was the CPO at Hewlett-Packard. While there, she led a global team that was responsible for online and offline privacy strategy, policy, and standards. She was the driver for implementing customer-friendly privacy policies and practices, and she helped HP to become a recognized leader in privacy, and at that time, back in 2005, because of her leadership, HP was selected as the most trusted company for privacy, and I think that's a lot due to Barb. She's also been a member of the International Association of Privacy Practitioners Board of Directors, the Center for for information policy leadership and she was on the executive committee and right now she's the Poneman Institute RIM Council Advisory Board Chair and she served on the California Office of Privacy Protection. She speaks all over the place on privacy issues and she's just terrific and you can learn more about her at our website at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy and you can learn more about Intuit's privacy at the Intuit privacy webpage at intuit.com slash privacy. Thank you so much for joining us for all the way from Northern California, Barb.
2: Well, thank you very much, Mari. It's a pleasure to, to be a part of your radio program. I know this is something, as you said, we've wanted to do for quite some time. and. I'm excited to have this conversation with you.
0: Well, you have been one of the leading privacy officers. In fact, you were one of the early privacy officers. Tell us how that all came about.
2: Well, it's probably a long story that I don't need to touch on every single step along the way, but I think there are a couple of key things that led me to the world of privacy. You'll find a lot of leaders in the privacy field today all arrived from different paths. So some followed the path of being uh, an attorney and starting to specialize in these issues as they emerged along with the Internet. Uh, Others came out of an information technology background and may have had more of an information security focus and got more interested in some of the po- privacy policy issues around that. And then there are folks like me. So I was actually born and raised in Northern California in the Bay Area in San Jose. So I'm truly a local kid. I come out of San Jose State University with a business degree and then uh, additional you know, minor and certification work in advertising and MarCom. So how in the world does that leave you to privacy? <laughs> well, I had a lot of different uh, career stops, if you will, along the way within HP, which is very common for a company like that. In fact, it was really encouraged. And so over the years, I developed experience and expertise in everything from data management and data standards to how marketing programs uh, were developed for a variety of audiences, which could have been consumers, small business, Uh, retail channel, those kinds of things. And through the course of many years, all of those pieces all came together when someone who I worked for at one point along the way said, you know, Bar, we've got this kind of interesting job and it's kind of small and it's not like what you were doing before, but we need someone to really figure out how to help HP really do a good job in privacy and really take us to a leadership position, although we don't know quite what that is. And uh, do you think you might like to do that and if so we want to have you interview and talk with all of these people and see if they all think you can do it too when i read hps and this goes back nine years ago now uh, 1999 in the spring and summer of 99 i read through the company's initial very first draft policies and this is back in a time when a lot of companies were just starting to think about should i post a privacy statement on the web and you know what was their web and they weren't really thinking a lot about information privacy practices So I looked at what we were doing, I looked at what the company needed to do in terms of really understanding how it used information, how it wanted to, how it wanted to be responsible and respectful in communicating with its customers, and it was just something that really clicked for me. And the pieces that I had, had experience with over the years, all somehow came together in this new idea of uh, privacy and information management. And... So if you flash forward, nine years later, I came into a job, and they said, do you think it'll ever be more than a one-person job? And I said, you know, give, give me six months or a year, and I'll figure out and see where we're at, and, you know, let's get the basic, the foundation built first, and get our privacy seal taken care of and get some of the initial global pieces in place. And then things got big. Things got big as concerns around web tracking, and those issues came to the forefront and it just exploded from there. So I think when I left HP, there was a, a virtual team. So we had several leaders and ex- individuals around the globe involved with privacy. And there were 35 people working on it.
0: Wow. Started and from it, just you.
2: It was me, myself, and I. <laughs> And I hired my first person to help me about six months in, and it grew from there. And I think one of the things that I'm most proud of when I look back on now, there are many things to be proud of is that it was a real team effort, and it was a real grassroots effort, because the goal was pretty broad, which was help HP do it right and become a leader at the same time. And I didn't have a lot of people telling me exactly how to do that, so I got a chance to build something, but I had the chance to build it with a great group of people and a great team, and as I look back on that now, a lot of those people are still there at HP, still doing that work.
0: And I got to meet a bunch of them who still love you. And who still are sorry that you left when I've been to Larry's, you know, the RIM conferences. They even sometimes ask me to come back, and I said, no, I'm committed to into it now.
2: Uh, but some of the people that actually interviewed me for that initial job nine years ago actually moved into a privacy role over the course of the years. Isn't
0: that something? And, and in
2: fact, one of the individuals who interviewed me because he had a different role is now my replacement, H.P. Scott Taylor.
0: Yes, and by him.
2: So it's, it's, it's a nice way to see some continuity and continuation of...
0: And some uh, commitment to yeah. privacy.
2: and I think that speaks to not just privacy officers and the skills and the interest you have and, and, and the people who do privacy work who aren't privacy officers because that's where a lot of the, the real work uh, honestly can happen is you really have to like this and you really have to understand this kind of work. This is not a job you can just do because it's a job. And it's an
0: evolving job, too, because you have to constantly stay up to speed with all of the new changes and the laws and the challenges with technology. It's, It's incredible, isn't it?
2: Yeah. If you don't want to be challenged, if you prefer to be bored or just be steady state, Go somewhere else. (laughs) Uh, This is not the place to be, but this is certainly what I love about it, and I think uh, the team that I have here and the people I've worked with, both in the privacy community like yourself and others on the RIM Council and in other organizations, is that it does change. And Mm -hmm. it's it's why we come to work in the morning, because we know it's going to be different and there's that that challenge and that that challenge to figure out the newest puzzle or the newest issue and, and to make it better.
0: And the excitement about it, you know?
2: It's exciting, and sometimes that excitement is good, and sometimes it's a little <laughs> scary. I mean, there's a lot, uh, a tremendous amount of moving pieces
0: Yes, to keep yes. track
2: of. So you have to be uh, an expert puzzle master. You have to be an expert ball juggler. You have to be an expert communicator.
0: And, and then you are the first chief privacy Officers, officer of Intuit. So how many do you have on your team over there?
2: Uh, you know, my team is lean and mean, <laughs> and, and that's by design. You know, one of the things that you learn as you've uh, led different teams over the years is that sometimes smaller is better and smaller is bigger. Right. Uh, because you can move and focus in different ways.
0: Um, and move faster sometimes. Uh, sometimes,
2: Um, And that's certainly the goal here, and that doesn't mean that a larger team can't be effective. And certainly HP, for example, is a much larger company from an employee and geographical footprint than Intuit is. But Intuit is looking to really grow its businesses both from – a connected services perspective and also from a global perspective over the next several years. and so we're we're relaying the foundation. we're building we're, we've taken what was uh, a good solid, small house and making it a somewhat bigger, but much more modern house, if you will, for privacy. So Intuit had privacy leaders for a long time, but never an actual privacy officer. Right. And in fact, I was the first privacy officer at HP, too, because no one started out with a privacy officer title, certainly not at HP. It was something that grew and developed over time.
0: So you're the fearless first leader each time.
2: Well, you know, there are advantages, as you know, to being first, which means you get to decide how things are done because no one else has figured out how to do it yet. Right. Um, But the challenge is you have to figure out how to do it first because no one's ever done it before.
0: Exactly. So, what is the most important role of a corporate privacy officer? Because you sure te- you get to teach a lot of them many times. Well, uh, actually, you you kind of said it right there.
2: I I said earlier it was to be a great communicator, and I think to be a great teacher, you need to be a great communicator. And so, if you take that from a very broad perspective and recognize that every opportunity when you interact with someone, whether it's your own team and directing them, uh, an individual. Uh, whether you're creating a new program or initiative and you need to meet with a very senior executive, it's how well do you, you communicate, how you're going to help him or her. And what you're really doing when you're communicating that is that you're teaching a little bit all along the way. And so being... What Being very clear, knowing what it is your outcome is. So, for example, the meeting I had right before uh, coming to talk with you uh, was uh, with one of our senior executives about a really new, exciting strategic initiative that's going to require us as a company to think about how we're using customer data in our possession. And it's something where the business would like to use it in new and novel ways that may be very ethical and very legal and very appropriate, but it's still different than the way we've communicated with our customers about that. So the conversation there was, what are the use scenarios around information, but What do we really want to get out of this conversation? What we want to get out of the conversation is to understand that remember the privacy framework. So we have a strategic framework of privacy. Remember these three key areas. That's the lens or that's the filter. We're going to take everything that you tell us and put it through. And then what we're going to come out with are these four things. We're going to come out with some key messages for customers. We're going to come out with some standards that will help product developers and marketers actually apply what we've decided on. And then we're going to have actual privacy statements and agreements, the kind of nitty-gritty privacy policy wonkish stuff. And those are the outputs of what comes out of a fairly high-level, 30-minute discussion around where are you going strategically with your business. So being able to communicate at that level, but then also being able to communicate and educate so the person who's the project manager for that thing, okay, now here's how we're going to go do that and really do that at a tactical level, and here's why it's important. And then have them actually come back to you and not just replay your words back to you, but really demonstrate understanding, oh, so if I do this, and if we gather this information and do it this way, then this is how we'll get to those procedures and standards, and this is what a procedure or a standard might look like. And you think, bingo, I've got it, we've been successful. And then those people, it's the tipping point, those people will communicate the, their same understanding to others.
0: So it sounds like you're helping the other departments to understand privacy so there's a privacy consciousness in everything that they do.
2: Exactly. And it's really understanding privacy. I often don't even use those words. I try and couch it into how are we handling, using, collecting, storing personal information.
0: That gets back to the RIM conference that that we had and the RIM console, which is responsible information management. Why don't you talk a little bit about what is responsible information management?
2: Responsible information management is really a concept that encompasses uh, let's say three or four key ideas. Uh, First of all is that businesses are responsible and accountable for doing right by their customers and right by their employees and therefore you need to have policies, procedures, contractual mechanisms, messages on how you communicate to your customer that you are making promises in your policies, for example, around you have a choice about marketing and maybe a promise may be an opt-in choice, a permission choice for marketing, or it may be an opt-out choice for marketing, that whatever promises you make you're actually going to keep and that also the information that you have from individuals is, There's an information management, information quality component, and information security component to it. So it's not just privacy. It's not just thinking about uh, simplistically the collection and use, which tends to be more the traditional privacy piece. We think about collecting information. We think about using it. So then we tend to think about privacy statements, and so it's notice and choice. Responsible information says we're looking at all of the information practices, so not just collecting and using, but it could be redacting. It could be aggregating or anonymizing information. It could be securing. It could be what are the technology or business processes in place to make sure the information stays accurate. So when you take information, you anonymize it, so you strip off the the personally identifying information because you want to use it for analysis to make your your software product better, that you do that in a responsible way so that the information isn't corrupted, that it isn't accidentally released, that it's still reusable, and by the way, that it also helps you actually serve the original purpose of doing that, which is having information you can use to analyze to make your product better.
0: Right, and I've heard you speak many times about privacy being really good for business because it builds trust. And and I thought that was really important. You want to talk a little bit about? Well, I think
2: that? good privacy is good for business. Bad <laughs> right. privacy is not. <laughs> right, right. Good right. for business. Um, key elements of good privacy are. I, I'm going to go. I, I'm going to. You're going to hear some very consistent themes from me throughout the day. And and one is I've talked about educating and really setting that privacy culture and awareness internally. I think there's an o- opportunity, and what companies should be doing is translating that into really simple key ideas for their customers. So uh, a simple example might be when you collect information on a form on the web that each of those lines uh, of data elements tell you how it's going to be used. Providing information in context, providing rationale or reason in context. Uh, Trust comes from repeated interactions. It doesn't come from one interaction.
0: Right. You build trust.
2: Yeah. So I might have met you one time and say, gosh, that seems like a nice person. Like I might go to a website and say, gee, that website looks really interesting or that store looks really interesting. Sure. Um, But I don't know enough to form an opinion. Right. So I'm going to have more interactions that form and inform my opinion. And it may be things that I'm thinking about co- very explicitly and cognitively, top of mind, like you know how I was greeted. Um, was I greeted in the way I wanted to be, or did I want to be left alone? Those are both choices on a band uh, of of choice. Um, was the Using the store model, is the store clean? Could I find what I wanted? Did I understand? Did I like the pricing? Those things translate to the web, too. Is the website clean? Is it easy to find things? Is the software
0: easy to use? Is the
2: software easy to use? I love
0: QuickBooks, by the way. This is, you know, without selling your product. I mean, I've been using it for years. It's easy. If I can use it, anybody can use it. Well, and I think so. Let's go back to tie that,
2: uh, ease of use to trust, because ease of use is critical for us at Intuit. And that supports trust.
0: Right. Uh, and if
2: you think about the information that is kept on our in in our environment,
0: oh yeah, very sensitive it's information. It's very sensitive information. Yes.
2: So so trust also is an expectation w- without a lot of interaction or knowledge. Right. Uh, you, you expect us to be trustworthy because you know that we have a lot of information that we are responsible for. Right. And sometimes that responsibility is also we're not going to use it. And that may be a legal construct or that may be an ethical or policy construct that we set in place. But uh, certainly we know not only from the most trusted company research but also feedback from our customers in different contexts directly is that there's a high level of expectation of trust just at the starting gate. Right. And then what do those experiences do that support that expectation of trust? So it's not even, you're not always building trust. You're maintaining it. You're reinforcing the uh, expected trust that's there. You know, Mari, one thing you mentioned earlier that I did want to clarify is in talking about Intuit and achieving the Most Trusted Company Award for Privacy, Yes, uh, we actually tied for first place.
0: Oh, you tied for first place. And we
2: tied for first place with HP. Oh, so that how do you it, like
0: that? Both <laughs> 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 your uh, past and your present.
2: Yes, and and all in in that closed-loop circle, it's all together. Uh, so, So trust is important, and trust is certainly more than just privacy. Privacy and information practices are just one aspect of trust.
0: Right. We're speaking with Barbara Lawler, who is the first chief privacy officer of Intuit, and she was previously the first chief... Privacy Officer of HP, and both of those got the most trusted company for privacy. So look at that. No wonder it took me so long to get you on this show, Barb.
2: It's a lot of work to do.
0: I know. Let me ask you, we're sitting here on the campus of the University of California in Irvine, and people might be thinking, well, gee, you know, that might be an interesting role to be a corporate privacy officer. What kind of training and skills are necessary?
2: You know, when we first started creating this field of privacy, so one of the the organizations that I'm a part of is the International Association of Privacy Professionals, and that group is really about uh, growing and promoting the profession and that it's important. And as we've talked about what's important in the profession, I think there are some as opposed to at the beginning of our conversation where I said people come from a lot of different paths, and people will come from a lot of different paths. But as you're just starting now, if you were thinking about that, one path definitely is to go the legal path. Um, you will find that some uh, law programs will focus on cyber issues or cyber law. That, that's a way to get there. Um, you can also get there from more of a, a traditional uh, focus on marketing and transactions I would, if I was to give my an
0: an MBA, you know, I would think that might help you too. Well, that's
2: that's definitely a a possibility. And so what I was going to say is that's one path. You know, from the business path, what I like to see is someone who has uh, a strong foundation in technology, so understands how technology works. So it doesn't mean you have to have a degree in computer science or or uh, another similar information technology degree, but it can't hurt. Uh, but I think you need you need the technology side and you need the business side. So you need to understand how data works and is used, and you really need to understand how marketing programs are really driven and created. So that's more of that business and business marketing side,
0: right? Because, so that you can talk with those marketing people and that they'll listen to you.
2: Well, and and. You asked how did I get into privacy. That was one of the reasons why I got hired for the HP job is that a lot of the work was around working with the different marketing communities. And a lot of my privacy team's work here is with our marketing communities as well. And so you have to be able to understand what they're doing and speak their language, which gets back at that communication and education perspective. So – Training and skills, legal, I think a little bit of technology, a little bit of marketing and but again, none of those replace being a good listener and a good communicator.
0: Right. And I would think security knowing a lot about physical and and Electronic security. Besides uh, that, electronic
2: or information security, and yeah. more and more the security where you you can find that, and you'll certainly find that in some of the uh, IT educational components or other experience. And I think the thing to keep in mind is that that rounds it out. Uh, sometimes uh, privacy and security ideas are are commingled and kind of confused, and. So what we like to say here uh, when we have that conversation with uh, individuals on the front lines or even with our executives is in privacy, we're talking about personal information, information about people. And we're talking about what, what we do with it, what it is. And that gets to uses and collection and storage and those kinds of activities. The information security piece is an enabler of privacy. Uh, you can have a great security program, but if you don't have a good privacy program, uh, a se- security program alone doesn't mean you have good privacy. You need to have both, but you can't have good privacy without the right information security component in place. So you can't have one or the other. You need to have both, and they need to be uh, coordinated and integrated, so that you're not, so that you're working together towards that concept of responsible information management.
0: Barbara, I have a question. Do you think that, that the a role of the privacy officer is going to change in the future? In other words, for those students who are thinking, gee, this is really an exciting area, it's challenging, it's ever-changing, Is what do you think they should be thinking about in terms of what that role might be? Might you be called a privacy officer in the future, or what might you be called?
2: Um, that's a great question because I'm— We're seeing another iteration in the role and how it's evolved. So one evolutionary direction is in this uh, data integrity or data strategy. So you might be a chief privacy and data strategy officer, Hmm. or you might be an information policy leader. Uh, Another direction would be more in kind of the risk management direction. So you could be a chief information risk or information risk management officer. Hmm. Uh, The other consolidation almost or or trend is uh, to really tightly integrate information privacy and information security in something that's more around kind of a broader concept that could be called data protection or information protection, which combines the idea of security and privacy into one role. And seeing all of those trends, but uh, still see a lot of growth in kind of the core uh, business uh, compliance management focus around chief privacy officer.
0: Right. I know even in our state, they combined the office, not really combined, but they put together – the Office of Privacy Protection with the uh, the Security Office for the State of California. Uh-huh. So they're, they're starting to realize that those two must communicate effectively since they're so interdependent.
2: Yeah. Well, yeah. and I will put a stake mm-hmm. in the ground and say I think it's really important that they are, those organizations are close. That that's the number number one or number two job expectation that my boss has for me is to be very tightly linked at a strategic and an operational level with uh, our CISO here, our Chief Information Security Officer. That said, what I, I think that there are still functional differences in how those work. So, for example, uh, I wouldn't anticipate, and I, don't think, I think it's a strategic mistake, for example, to put privacy underneath information security and say information security controls or drives privacy outcomes because you will not get the right uh, business outcomes for your company or your customers. You're going to miss a lot if you have just a security lens. Just in the same way in a privacy lens you might forget about all the the other types of information assets that need to be protected that go beyond personal information. So my point being work lockstep side by side, integrate your strategies, integrate your plans, Maybe have a Vulcan mind meld if you need it. (laughs) But I don't think either one should subsume the other.
0: Right. They should be on the same level. Yeah, And, you know, I had another question. You know, I remember that there were some studies done about where the privacy officer is in the organization. And what impact does that have?
2: Organizational placement just inherently creates a particular lens on how you look at your job, your priorities, and what's expected, and if you're a, a privacy professional who, who's been around a little bit, you know that your what you think is important from a privacy perspective may not always be consistent with your boss or the organization you're in, so you may find yourself with the same kind of approach to privacy no matter what organization, but what gets prioritized or what gets funded will change. Uh, It's very common, for example, if privacy is in the legal department to have uh, a strong compliance focus. Right, And it's not that if you're in another part of a company you're not focused on compliance, but it's where where's the center of gravity in terms of the discussion and the priorities? Well, where do you go first? Uh, very different than if you're in a marketing organization that really may focus more aggressively on customer data acquisition or customer data use for marketing, uh, a lot of promotion and sales, and we'll look at compliance as something you got to have, but it's not the central core. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sometimes privacy is in an information risk or or risk management or compliance organization that's not specific to legal uh, or to marketing. Uh, The privacy organization uh, that I was involved with at HP was actually aligned with a global citizenship construct. And so that has a very different lens that really looks at tying privacy into uh, a very high level of, think of responsible information management on steroids. So what's a company really accountable for, for from a global strategic social responsibility perspective?
0: Right.
2: So inherently it affects what projects get prioritized and which ones get funded and kind of what leads the day. But. Uh, most savvy privacy pros know that there, there's a mix of things we all need to do, regardless of what organization we're
0: in. So, if you're going to go into privacy and become a corporate privacy officer, you want to go someplace where, where should it, where would you look, if you know, to to be placed? Where would you want to be? Somebody who who would you be reporting to, and be most happy?
2: You know, that's such a hard question to answer.
0: Depends on the organization, I guess. Huh?
2: Well. So I think the variables are what's the company culture and, and values around people, and I, w- I won't even say privacy, but around information use. Uh, what's the company culture around compliance? What's the company culture around how it interacts with and sees its customers? Uh, I would say also a little bit about how it sees the regulatory environment, or does it care about that? And that may sound silly in a privacy world where you have a lot of regulations, but Certainly some companies are much more focused on what the external drivers are, let's say, which may be regulatory, that may be other uh, influences that, that come from outside the company. Right. So, for example, I think I was in three different organizations while I grew the HP program with different focuses. Hmm. Uh, one was on more on a data management strategy side, one was more on Internet, and then the last, again, was in this global citizenship space. And Intuit... Uh, as a non-attorney, uh, I report ger- directly to our general counsel, hmm. and uh, I'm really proud to say, for example, so that is an organizational placement that works well f- for me, for the organization, the immediate organization, and for the company, because the the, the legal and compliance organization here is probably uh, one of the leaders in terms of being in legal organizations and being very strategic and very focused on supporting business, not just looking at just compliance basics and supporting customer experience. And uh, as my boss would say, we're not going to do anything that's legal but stupid.
0: Yeah. And you know what else is good about that is that you're not considered a policewoman.
2: Uh, no privacy police here. <laughs> <laughs> New privacy police.
0: No, I mean, I would think that that's probably good for working with marketing. Exactly. They're not looking at you as only compliance, only the policewoman. You're out there to help them to do things right.
2: Yeah, frankly, you can't even walk in the door or get on the phone if, if that's where you start from. You have to start from. It's, it's almost a form, again, thinking about communication and education. It's very similar to a sales process. You have to gather needs, so understand what the business needs are first. Because you have the expertise around privacy and information policy and regulatory needs, so gather needs first. Be that listener first, and then
0: help them to see how you them. can help so, them yeah. uh, uh,
2: assimilate, analyze, and and give back something that's useful and constructive. And a lot of the, you know, quite honestly, uh, a lot of the same issues or questions pop up. But as people change jobs or move in and out of different parts of the organization, or become new, um, you're always in this interview mode and in this training mode in terms of understanding what are people doing and how can you help them. Uh, We have uh, what we're calling a self-help website that we're building that's uh, focused on our entire internal population. So we're throwing out the old and replacing it with the new where it's going to have a lot of, you know, checklists and self-help assessment tools and, you know, quick quick win guides, is what I would call them, hmm. uh, to help the uh, business people. Because with you know, five or six people that I have, uh, and if you get uh, hundreds of questions uh, in, a, in a month period or a week period, you can't, you can't always answer them all. So right. how do you help getting back to responsible information management and that education piece? How do you get people to, frankly, be accountable for their own results? So... I'm not just accountable for delivering my email newsletter on time to my customer base. I'm also responsible for making sure that it meets the privacy commitments and requirements that the company has.
0: Right, right. And I like it when I go to a website and it says frequently asked questions, and I look down and I say, oh, that's my question. And I like it that it's right there. I don't have to get on the phone. I've got the answer. I can see how to do it. I don't know. Is that what you were thinking that you're going to be having? That's
2: part of what that is. Yeah. And right now, that's internally focused, and then we'll bring some of that to the external side to our external web page or web pages, so and the privacy statement, so that. like what you just talked about. so yeah. That our customers have the, the commonly asked questions. And we have commonly asked questions related to privacy and information security. Right. But they're not really on the privacy page right now. They tend to be much more contextual so they're embedded as a part of frequently asked questions uh, based on our different products that we offer.
0: Right. Right. Now you have good products. Let's talk a little bit about social networking. I know when I saw you recently, you were telling me that, that you do some of the social networking, and you suggested that I do it just to learn what's out there. And have you? I I have a little bit. I'm a little bit chicken, but um, I have more than I was before. <laughs>
2: well, I shouldn't be interviewing you. I could ask you what makes you chicken, but <laughs> maybe that's...
0: <laughs> well, let's talk about that. What would make someone chicken?
2: So he, he, here's a way, uh, some ways to think about really social networking, and, and I'm going to actually step up and say anything that has uh, a person-centric or individual-centric, interactive, community-oriented approach. So that that, that can expand into blogs and other communities, information-sharing sites, because social networking sites are. One aspect of how you can do that, right? And sometimes they all start looking the same.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: Um, I so here's why I'm out there, and here's what you can be thinking about, but also certainly be cautious about. Is I see these as redefining the paradigm of what privacy means. Yes. And it's redefining it because it is that individual or person or multiple people centric so they are at the center in other words of the interaction or the sharing or the movement of information and that's very different from i think what many of us who are older have grown up into both from a technology and from a business perspective that again using a technology term is fairly binary it's 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 very one-way, two-way in terms of the communication. Mm -hmm. So an example of that is: I go to a website and there's a privacy statement that represents the company's policies, and the uses, choices, or lack thereof are all laid out. And it's it's quite honestly, it's that or you don't play. What's different about social networking and? I'll use Facebook as an example. Uh, I wouldn't normally go in and name a lot of company names, but it's easier just to give people context. Uh, Is Facebook, I'm going in and I'm really in a lot more control of what information I decide to put up there. I can go in to the privacy page and set privacy settings on, frankly, what's an amazing amount of detail. So if I go go into a traditional website, I give you name and address and, and other information, Um, I don't get to decide whether you see that or not. If I'm giving it to you, you as the company see it because you're using it, let's say, for a transaction or to deliver a service. In a social networking context, at some level I can decide, in some cases very fine-grained level, what information you can see about me and can you, Mari, see See, see me, just you? Can a small group that I've defined see it? Can anyone who's become my friend see it? Can anyone who's in Facebook see it, or can anyone outside of Facebook see it? And if you think about that as a set of concentric circles that get larger and larger, and if you think about who sees what, it's a very different mental model, and it's also a very different data model that's behind that. Now, Facebook didn't start with all of that granularity, but they've grown it over time. So I think it's a fabulous experiment around... uh, because they're not collecting it so much for their own use. I mean, they've got to make money. They're a business.
0: But right. They're,
2: they're, they're, if you look at their mission, their mission is to facilitate communication. Well, what facilitates communication? Think about what we talked about trust earlier. Right. What is one way that people uh, enhance their relationship, their friendships, their trust, make new friends, is you share information with people. Exactly. With your friends. And so that's kind of a mental model. Uh, when you set up your name, for example, you, you can you can give yourself your real name. You can but you actually have to give your real name because you have to be uh, transparency is also value. but for example, I've got my birthday out there, but I don't put my birth date right. And so I can choose to show just the,
0: the, the month
2: the, the month and the day, day or right. the rest. Um, things to be cautious of or concerned about is, as there's a lot of information that you have put out that's visible, because a lot of people aren't using those privacy settings or either not taking the time yeah, that's to look what I was at it say. or understand yeah, it. And, yeah. and that's, that's, that's Barb's opinion. I don't have data to say a lot of people are using them or not. You know that,
0: that's, Actually, that's, I did see a study that they weren't using them.
2: Yeah, Yeah. so I think there's an opportunity from the more traditional privacy point of view, which is to communicate more actively about what those are and how to use them, because, you know, some of the descriptions, you have to kind of know what they're talking about to start with. Exactly. And you also have to be willing to experiment. Um, I think the other, so so because a lot of that information is maybe more open than people realize, you really got to think about what do you really want people to know. And I don't mean what do I want. Mari to know, or my immediate friends to know, right. what do you want people you don't know to really know about you?
0: And, and how that, may they perceive it, even though if you say it one way, how may they perceive that about you?
2: Yeah. Uh, one of the issues that is out there, for example, is can employers or do employers search your name? So not just Facebook, but just do a basic
0: Google or whatever. Google your yeah. you know,
2: search your name. And do they use that as a part of the employment evaluation process? And,
0: and I know that to be true that they are doing that.
2: Well, it's a discussion amongst certainly privacy leaders and privacy professionals about what should they do and what are companies or what should companies be doing? And I will tell you that the discussion has really been, uh, in many cases around that's ethically doesn't feel like the right thing to do, right. And because you don't
0: know how accurate that information is or if someone else put up a, a MySpace pretending no. to be you. I mean, I've actually had people call me with that happening to them. There's definitely that,
2: and there's definitely, again, if you're, it, there are things that you're more than happy to share with your friends that you know, really aren't relevant to your position exactly, or the job. And in other cases it might be relevant and you're just – we're thinking about the fact that someone else might see that. And the question, is it appropriate, responsible, or ethical uh, for a company to look at that and make a hiring decision on that? Um, There aren't rules of the road on that right now, but it's something to be aware of and to consider.
0: Right. And we don't have the same kind of protection laws like we do with a credit report as we do with somebody just going in and Googling you, right?
2: Well, and and credit reports are, are... and I would contrast those a little bit because those very, are very explicitly clearly financial information used for, you know, making very significant decisions that affect your financial life and your personal life. Right. And, you know, by contrast, uh, in the social networking sites, it can, be, it can be very simple. So some of the other, you know, more uh, linkage-oriented ones, for example, are, are pretty basic. It's a professional profile, and they're really focused on that. Uh, There are other smaller ones that are very focused on specific interests. So it could be uh, new mothers is one, for example, that my sister's involved with, Um, those kinds of things. And so the, the group, if you will, is more narrow. Yes. And then some of them obviously are very broad, but, you know, the information you're sharing is all over the map. So, my, you know, mine out there has music that I'm interested in and books that I'm interested. Uh, am I listing every book I ever read? No, that would take years, and I'm not going to spend the time to do that.
0: Right, you know, right. Am
2: I going to list every book that I've read that maybe I don't feel like I need to share with everybody that I've read that book because of the inference they might make? Exactly. Uh, say, same thing. You know, same with photos, you know, what photos get tagged. Now, you can untag photos, mm-hmm. at least in, in Facebook.
0: Now, aren't aren't photos archived on on the internet, I mean, aren't don't they never really go away?
2: Well, you could say that about any information on the internet. Exactly, the level, yeah, it never goes away. That's
0: that's I think the the part that's so disturbing. Well,
2: it's it's something you know we all make decisions every day on what we're going to do that's low risk, medium risk, and high risk, whether it's. We all have to be hands free now in our cars in California. Exactly. Um, but before that happened, there, there was and there was a legal component to it. There was always a risk component to that. So I, I think that there is an element that you have to be cautious about. You have to be thoughtful about. You have to be concerned about. And sometimes it's hard to see the downstream impl- implications.
0: of I some think of these that's things. right. Yeah, I think you know someone like you who is really a privacy guru who is going to take the time to look at the privacy. Uh, the different choices that you have. When I think about the UCI students here on campus, and I think about my kids, and uh-huh. I think about well, their, my kids and your kids, exactly, and the future job prospects. What concerns do you have about that?
2: Well, I would act. You know, I would turn it around and say, certainly, some advice I would give is you, as a person, and I think this is general, whether it's it's concerns about job prospects or you know, other potential identity theft issues, you ought to be in the habit of Googling your name or searching your name on a fairly regular basis.
0: You know, I found out this new thing that I've been doing now for a month. It's called Google Alert that I put my name in quotation marks and Google Alert, and every time my name appears in a blog or on a website now, I'm getting the Google Alert, and it tells me, and it brings up, it sends me an email, it gives me the URL of where it appeared, and I click on it. <laughs> it is great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's kind of a neat tool. It and is And the a reason neat tool.
2: I suggest doing that is because that doesn't get at some of the, the, the bigger things that you could be concerned about. But, you know, I think there's there's certainly been best practices that are students in college, students in high school are advised, which is, you know, be cautious of photos or information about uh, what would you want to tell your mom or your dad or your grandparents, you know, the the things having to do with with parties and relationship issues and escapades and all of those kinds of things. Probably ought to be careful uh, about or or think about a different way to share those Uh, because there may be a time in the future where someone is uh, extrapolating certain certain concepts about you but I will say from an employer perspective and, and maybe this is just my mindset having been you know in the business world for a long time is that any responsible company that you'd want to work with even if they see that unless it's something you know, really awful like you're, you're posting your arrest record in your in your Facebook and then I think you've got other judgment issues
0: right are you doing drugs in yeah. some photos <laughs> yeah And
2: so what I really mean by that yeah. is it's it goes, it's, you can call it the friends and family test. You can call it the common sense test. You know, what would you tell your mom or your grandma? Right. (laughs) Um, you, you know, think, think about that. You know, in the business world, we also call it the friends and family test or the wall street journal test. Don't do something or, or make sure, make sure you're not making mistakes that will be on the top fold of the wall street journal, New York times, San Francisco Chronicle, (laughs) any of those things. No, no one wants to be there. And it's, Again, it's hard to envision downstream, but uh, those are certainly the things to be thinking about.
0: Exactly, exactly, and I think it's it's harder for the younger people because they don't understand the ramifications like we might understand. Well, I haven't been there yet.
2: Yeah, and, and that's understandable, and, and you know that that is an advantage of that because you're more willing to experiment and try new things, and and the rules are being rewritten. And, and I think that's fun and interesting. And and uh, you know, I will say, you know, my my kids aren't even in high school yet, but. Uh, They they don't like that their mom is pretty restrictive about what they're allowed to do on the Internet without supervision, and they have friends who have a lot more open access. And so whether you're a parent or a a young person, uh, but certainly from a parent perspective, supervising and educating your kids on, frankly, being safe on the Internet and and what those parameters are, and and be careful what you search for.
0: You know, so many parents are so much less techy <laughs> than their kids it's are. Scary,
2: so they rely on their kids to tell them which kids that put you in a great position, but right. then that's also therefore a position of responsibility.
0: We have here in the Orange County Sheriff Department, we have a uh, Internet in Your Child, a free program mm-hmm. that we give through the uh, Sheriff Reserve to help parents understand what can go on in the internet and what kinds of restrictions that they should have. But basically, I think that should be your next book <laughs> to write about. Hey, a little booklet about hey, how, how do you keep your kids safe? Because all those kids' um, parents that that your kids hang out with, they probably haven't got a clue of what you know.
2: Well, and honestly, you know, we're talking about kids' safety on the internet, right? Um, and young people and. Th- thinking about where that where that is going. And we've talked about the context of social networking and communities and blogging. You know, how do you anticipate those issues? So some issues are someone saying something about you that's not true, someone tagging a photo that's not you or that you don't want to be tagged, uh, saying something about someone else that's untrue or could be misinterpreted, uh, posting too much information about yourself that's uh, too easily available. As are as my kids move into that space, which will be over the, the next decade or so, we're not even talking about the Internet, because I think you and I are thinking about or the Internet in the same way you and I are thinking about, which is the desktop or the laptop sitting in our offices or in our homes. We're talking about what's on a multifunction cell phone. Right. Or a personal The iPhone.
0: Right, exactly. Or
2: I- iPhone. A- any of those small, portable electronic devices that are they're brilliant. They're, right. they're wonderful and they're fun. Yes. And you know, I, I really wish, wish that my daughter wouldn't lose her cell phone all the time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but
0: that's when you that's, buy the insurance, right? That's, that,
2: well, that's <laughs> where their internet is going to be. Exactly. And that, but that's also where geolocation right. and you know the idea that. Not necessarily on an active, all always-on basis, but there's certainly the potential for someone to really know where you are all
0: the time. Right, right. Whether you're in your car or, yeah. you know, I, I have read that a cell, phone, a cell phone, even if it's turned off, can be tracked. I don't know if it's because of RFIDs that are coming out or whatever it is but that's what I was reading recently that there are devices out there that can track you wherever you go and you're right if the kids put out too much information and somebody can find them easily and they know that mom's not home and there there's a lot of dangers lurking out there i mean it's a wonderful asset to have this ability to communicate but it's uh, it is there's some dangers yeah.
2: Well, I want to tie something that you just said together with a couple of the other elements that we've talked about, which is the idea not only of social networking and new technology, and a while ago we talked about your photos live forever, and I said the information lives forever. Yes. Now, now some of that information over time, because there's so much, there's a glut of information that's becoming prevalent across the globe, because the more information you collect and you have and you move around, the more you just have everywhere, Yes. And it, it's it's great if you're selling mass storage, but other than that it's just <laughs> it's just too much.
0: It's overwhelming. Yeah.
2: And so then so for example, again, going back to the simple search, search on your name. There are things you can search on my name, there's about four Barbara Lawlers. Hmm. And so when you search on it, not all of them are me, but there are things about me that come up very close. To the top of the list and things you have to go through pages and pages and it may be about me maybe about somebody else it may be about a different combination of names and so that's that speaks to the volume that there's a lot of stuff that could over time become harder to find about you so so that could be a mitigating force right but as we think about the huge volumes of different types of information about us or could identify us or locate us so tying all those together it's Information doesn't really go away. It may become harder to find because of the glut, potentially, but systems and technology may get smarter than to go back and, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll see your information glut and raise you my higher storage and, and gra- you know, ability to grasp and go find that information. And then you have – so information is everywhere all the time, never goes away. Mm. And – when it's everywhere it's not just everywhere so it's in many places at the same time so the information that you look at on your cell phone or on your pda or on your iphone or equivalent device uh, is also sitting on a number of other servers or in transit uh, as you're looking at it exactly and then as you get more technologically savvy cars that build in uh, computer networking capability, that have Bluetooth uh, in them, and your cars more and more over time become computers and have the geographical uh, or navigation devices. So you can think of a navigation device as, as one way to, to track where you are all the time. That's yeah. another way to look at it. So you, you have this very interesting world we're moving into so it's like the next generation of the information age. It Barb really I have is. to
0: laugh because information everywhere yeah. all the time. you know my you were just talking about the Bluetooth in the car. I have a Bluetooth that I can walk around with on my ear uh-huh. and I have a Bluetooth in my car so when I when I started using the Bluetooth in my ear because we have to have hands free, I was sitting in the car and all of a sudden my car said, "We want to have access to your cell phone." <laughs> <laughs> and it literally took over from the one that I had on my Motorola on my ear it took over and it suddenly became my Bluetooth my cell phone suddenly became active through my car instead With well
2: <laughs> that's very interesting because I have Bluetooth in my car too but you have to you have to say yes or no yes it but it actually asked me
0: I mean it interrupted me. That's weird. I know it was very weird it was it was. <laughs> It, I felt we won't like, talk uh-oh. about
2: automobile uh, automobile makes right now. but
0: Yeah, yeah, but it, it was very strange that it just, uh, it suddenly took over and I thought, oh my goodness, this is like the computers taking technology over my life.
2: Very, technology is very smart and will continue to get smarter.
0: Yes, and my refrigerator is going to tell me, hey, you need to buy more cottage cheese.
2: Well, you can, you can get a smart refrigerator now if you want right. to pay three or $4,000, whatever it is. You know, yeah. there's the smart table, and there's all of these things that are coming that, again, are fascinating and provide a lot of potential. Um, but
0: Maybe you know, I could I get a refrigerator that says, don't eat that. That's too fattening.
2: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. No more margaritas for you.
0: <laughs> exactly. So Lloyd has, says we have about two more minutes here. Okay. So let, let's kind of sum it up here as, uh, does privacy even exist now? <laughs> In this information age.
2: Well, after this conversation, you might wonder. (laughs) Yes. uh, But let me go back to uh, a couple of elements. When I said privacy is personal because it's about personal information. Right. Privacy is also a concept which can be the right to be left alone. Uh, It can be my right to, to know about decisions made about me. Uh, It can be uh, prevention from harm, making sure that I'm not harmed by identity thieves. Uh, Those concepts never go away. How those concepts live in our day-to-day lives change, and they change based on the world, not just the world that we're living in, the world that we're choosing to live in, which includes the laptops and the cell phones and the PDAs and the smart cars and uh, all of those different things that make our lives interesting and exciting. And because our world has gotten a lot more complicated as a result of all of those things, but a lot more exciting, that means, to me, more individual awareness and kind of personal accountability about knowing, how, one, how I think about privacy and what's important to me and what I'm willing to, to trade or to share or to not trade for that. I think privacy exists. I think the rules or the, the societal constructs, the basic concepts exist, but it's how they play out on a day-to-day basis and what they mean. And it really means more interaction, more vigilance, more uh, studying, learning, paying attention to what information about me is out there, how it's used, and where I can take control or insist on control or understand where I don't and then manage manage around that.
0: Well we thank you so much. We you're a great mentor for all of us in the privacy field and well, we love you. Thank you for saying so. No, you are and we always look up to you and we really appreciate your sharing all your wonderful wisdom with us tonight and we'll have you back again.
2: Thank you so much. I enjoyed our conversation today and hope that the audience does too.
0: Good night. Good night. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. Thank you for joining us. Please join us every Wednesday from 5 to 6 p.m. Thank you and good night. The
1: opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.